And you could just see in their eyes, like, you know, they're just exasperated because they have all of this talent and capacity and they see the problem and they see a way forward, but they don't have the tools. What's up? I'm Tyler Sweat. Cue the dramatic music. This is All Quiet on the Second Front, a podcast where boring conversations around defense tech and national security come to die. Ready to get weird and learn some cool shit about emerging tech and the government? I thought so. Let's fucking go. This is a Soul Fire production. Hey everyone, Chrissy McGarry here, COO of Second Front Systems. Excited to share with all of you that you are now able to sign up for our annual Offset Symposium. Imagine attending the number one national security symposium located at the Ronald Reagan Building in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May 16th, 2023. During the symposium, you'll be able to hear from some of the leading experts in the defense tech space and VC communities. Individuals like Nund, the CTO of the CIA, and General Raymond, formerly of the Space Force, will be there participating in fireside chats and conversations. Don't worry, you can locate our full agenda at secondfront.com backslash offset dash symposium. Make sure you sign up today. Space is limited. All right, what's up, nerds? This is uh, your host, Tyler Sweat. Welcome to another episode of All Quiet on the Second Front, the podcast where boring shit goes to die. I am joined by uh, Lauren Hansen Armendariz, and am very excited for this one. Um, I won't steal her thunder on on some of her experience, but you know you've heard me riff and sort of wax uh, wax poetic about all of the bullshit that's in innovation and the theater, and just how much garbage and waste is sort of in there. And we've talked about that a lot from sort of the the more strategic kind of the the nationwide, service-wide, department-wide programs, what we haven't been able to do is actually connect that down to the tactical edge on where sort of that theory actually meets practical implementation. Um, So without further ado, Lauren, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me, Tyler. Yeah, super excited. For everybody who doesn't know, which would probably be like one person listening, Walk through a little bit of sort of your career, especially the the last few years when you were really sort of driving a ton of this change down at the edge. Sure. So I've been in the Army nine years active duty. I'm on my way out, but uh, I'm an intel officer by trade. And the last couple, it's two and a half years, I've been the first innovation officer for the 101st full-time and the first innovation officer for 18th Airborne Corps. And I was an S2 at the time, right before I was selected to be the first innovation officer. And, um, you know, we got an order for nominations for, you know, the first innovation officer. We're like, oh, what, is, what does that mean? That seems interesting, right? And uh, so my, my battalion commander pulled me aside, one of my great mentors today. And he's like, I think this would be a really good fit for you. Uh, you know, what do you think about it? And then, you know, the rest is history. Uh, before that, I was in Ukraine as the chief intel advisor for their combat training center. This was in 2019. And then uh, before that, I was an instructor. Neat time Winston. to be there. Yes. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. it, it just absolutely incredible experience. Yeah. Um, and getting to work with Ukrainians at the tactical level, especially at such a pivotal time during the reform, right? Yeah. Because a lot of their doctrine was still Soviet. Uh, and there was a, a lot of uh, a lot of work to be done 
uh, and being able to be a part of that was just amazing. That's pretty fucking cool. Yeah. Um, so, you know, juxtapose that, right? First innovation officer at 101st, at 18, so you're Bragg and Campbell or whatever they're called now, Liberty and some other bullshit name. And Ukraine right before that, right? So you've seen the actual edge on where this sort of all fuses. Uh, what are your takeaways? What'd you learn? Um, what did you learn that I guess surprised you? We'll start there. What oh, surprised man. you the most about those two, those two sort of really materially different roles right next to each other? Right. I think what surprised me was how it was hard in, in not the ways that I had expected. Right. Um, I thought that, um, you know, getting together the right people into the room would be one of the hardest parts. And, you know, it wasn't the really the biggest challenge was, okay, we have all of the right people. Now, how do we institutionalize the principles that we know to be true and important quickly enough and, you know, to, to get to where we need to be. And when, uh, you know, when we first had the vision of an innovation program at the 101st, it was, it was pretty straightforward, right? Develop a program that empowers soldiers to develop innovative solutions to their unit problems. And you take something that broad and there's a million different things that you could do really, really challenging. Um, but that's where I love to work is in the ambiguity, because then that's where you get to be creative and work with people you haven't worked with before. And we, you know, starting with that idea, there are a lot of people who, you know, just, they're like, man, how is this going to work? This is a division. We don't have resources like that. Um, you know, or how are you going to incentivize soldiers to to work on this? Like, are we going to do wards? Are we going to do money? I remember um, when Eagleworks came out, like, like we talked about that. I was like, well, this feels like a, yeah, like this might be a road that then somewhere bad. Right. Well, and sometimes it does. And that's fine as long as you learn from it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the thing about a division is, you know, their biggest value proposition for the capability development community is they have the people who do the things. They're the people on the ground, the ones closest to the problems, yep. um, the ones carrying out, executing the missions. Uh, so we don't have all of the resources. All of the other organizations yeah, do. Have the users, uh, though, and the ability to validate if right. something actually works. Exactly. And so, uh, and soldiers have always been innovating, right? They're doing it oh, with yeah. duct tape and, you know, all kinds of craziness. So what happens when we give them the right resources and then we scale those lessons learned with our partners or, uh, you know, transition them um, and so, right, the division didn't have a whole lot of resources, but we partnered with the Army Research Lab and their Catalyst Pathfinder program. We partnered with Vanderbilt. Uh, we, you know, and then we started making connections with other organizations like the Close Combat Lethality Task Force, RICTO. So if with the resources is, um, is something simple. Uh, right when we opened, we had a, an infantry company commander and his assistant gunner teams come in and they're like, Hey, we have spent a bunch of money out of pocket trying to get the right bag for our ammo so that it's easier for air assault missions. And then to place right away and pull the ammo straight out of the bag into the machine gun to save time, yep. right? Five seconds makes a really big difference when you're placing, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, in a critical time. It's a long time in a gunfight. Right. And so, um, you know, they had tried a bunch of different things, spent their own personal money, which is crazy. 
uh, and we had just opened. So my favorite part is when soldiers walk in and they're like, hey, I have this idea. I heard you can help. And you could just tell by the look on their face. They're like, oh, this is going to be some other goose chase. Somebody sent me to a place and they're not going to be able to help me. Uh, you know, so, you know, what, what can you help me with? And like, oh man, that's great. Like we have everything on hand. You know, we have a maker space. Let's, let's do it. Let's make it. Um, and after a couple iterations of making it, you know, and this is with resources uh, that we got through the Army Research Lab. Um, so there's one partner. And then uh, after a couple iterations, they had it exactly how they wanted it to be. And they had tested it several times. And they're like, this is, this is perfect. This is saving us. And then we reach out to the Close Combat Lethality Task Force. And they got a bunch of prototypes made at Picatinny. And so those are being used right now in exercises with the idea that could be that's, you know, my hope is now we take those lessons learned and then we could get them into the hands of all soldiers, not just a few from, you know, at 82nd and the 101st. Yeah, that's huge. How do you, you know, you talk about sort of the challenge with scale, right? It's the same problem you have out in startup or in tech. Like you build a cool widget, you find a cool solution. Okay, great. How do I scale that? Like in a meaningful way. Um, what are some of the barriers you've seen sort of doing? I mean, that's that's the exact example of, what a lot of this innovation community should solve, right? Like, hey, found a way to make it suck less to deliver lethal effects, right? Hi, that's what the DOD does. But every time you start to try to scale something, in my experience, I have found some fiefdom owner who's like, no, stay off my lawn. This is my program. These are my quad charts. You know, I have been appointed the innovation officer. How do you sort of navigate some of that? Sure. So I feel like since you're getting out, we can speak a little freely. <laughs> We're it's hard for everyone, everyone in the military, in and out of the military. Yeah. What's what we've demonstrated with a lot of these grassroots innovation programs is that soldiers can be like, we can produce evidence for what is the right thing and what's the right way to build it. Um, one of the things that blew my mind. Uh, what, that I learned about as an innovation officer is that and one of my uh, mentors taught me this, uh, Dr. Bull Holland. Uh, he was talking about the uh, the capability development documents, the CDDs. There, there's a place where you put the justification for the requirements, but there's no, you're not to develop that document. There, you're not required to put evidence to, to substantiate it with soldiers saying like, hey, here's what happened. It saved this many seconds, or this is why we need you know, just, uh, or, or for example, like for um, targeting, especially when it comes to things like software, being able to define it through the outputs versus, hey, we need these technical specs. Well, why do we need those technical specs? Being able to focus on the outputs, make, making sure that we're measuring it properly. And so um, we've gotten to the point, okay, we know these are the right things. Um, soldiers have good ideas everywhere, right? But there are, there's almost nobody in tactical units who understand the capability development process, the ecosystem acquisitions, uh, and without that exposure, you know, or because we don't have an institutionalized mechanism for taking that voice and, and taking these ideas, testing them, and then taking those lessons learned and putting them into the system. It's something that we're just starting to scratch the surface on. We've gotten really good to, okay, hey, we've got like this 
you know, TRL seven, so technology readiness level seven, which means it's, uh, you know, been tested in a relevant environment. The unit is a relevant environment in this case. Um, but now what? And we're just now starting to get there because one of the challenges is the institutional knowledge and operational yep. units, right? It's not, it's not something that's taught. It's not something that they're exposed to all of the different uh, pathways and opportunities. How do things work? And then um, two, there's not that formalized system for connecting the operational unit with the yeah. other entities. I mean, there is some, right? Like they, they do, um, soldier touch I mean, I've points. I've seen slides that say there are, but I've not actually ever seen it in practice. And it's the same problem the department has though. I think it's why it's why there's maybe a glimmer of hope for the reorganization with DIU, where it now reports directly to SECTEF instead of like the road to nowhere into RE. Right? You've got you've got a problem at the tactical level. You've either got an internal entity with the capacity to get it to a TRL7 or you know, some organization that has the widget. Right. And can immediately deploy it. But then where does it go? Right. Right. Like, do I call the army applications lab and AFC? Like we all know the answer to that is no. Like they throw a good cocktail party every couple times a year, but like, I mean, I, I want to love them, but it's not really useful. Where do you go? Right. Like how do you scale that? Is it Ricto? Is it, and the fact that, you know, as you're naming partners, there's like five or six we're right. looking at, that should also be problematic because that's putting a burden on that tactical unit instead of streamlining it and saying, hey, if we're seeing the right behaviors at the tactical edge, how do I cultivate and incentivize that? It should be in theory by providing a transparent sort of structured pathway right. to then scale. Um, we seem to do neither of those. Right. We need... One, the right people who know how to facilitate it, how to do the curation, how to, uh, you know, where to go, what are the options? Um, and we need a database. Yeah. <laughs> we need something that keeps track of all of this. And, you know, we're doing it at the unit level, which is really helpful um, because... How do you track that across the enterprise? So that, like if somebody at Drum or wherever has built a thing or solved a problem. Right. How do you know at Eagle Works or at, I forget what it was called at 18 Strike Works, what's it called? The Airborne Innovation Lab Airborne is Innovation at the 82nd. Yeah. So, and we're doing that within the 18th Airborne Corps yeah. where we have an innovation officer and then we're doing these regular meetings and we're sharing all of these information. And it's it's amazing in the meetings. They're like, hey, I'm working on this, you know, totally random project. And, oh, that's a problem with us. But we, you know, we figured out by working with one of our university partners. Yeah. Or, I mean, that's really where the magic that is. Exists. Yeah. It's, that doesn't become like a tree that falls in the woods and no one hears. It's like, right. So it's got the discoverability of some of those tactical solutions and scale. And these units are so overwhelmed with so much to do. Having a person who can look at the longer term, and yeah. I'm not, when I say longer term for a unit, I'm talking like, you know, 12 months, right? I'm not talking about the six <laughs> yeah. years it takes to get, you know, something start to finish and capability development uh, cycle. And, um, but it, we have to be able to execute and invest at the same time. We yeah. have to be ambidextrous. We can't afford to do both uh, because if we only are focused on executing and we're not learning about how to make things better and, and the onus is at echelon. I think we need to be innovating at echelon because who knows 
a, a company's problems, a, a brigade's problems better than those units themselves. Yep. But we need we need to institutionalize a way to extract that and to where we can all work together to develop it, right? The onus shouldn't be on, you know, these these institutional army organizations on their own, right? Yeah. It has to be across all of our partners and industry. What does that know? look like, you know, as you sort of queen for a day, right? <laughs> parting Parting thoughts from an army innovator as they're leaving the army, which is, like I said, sort of an indictment on the army, but we've talked about that over beers. We're not gonna talk about it here. Um, there's a reason none of us are in uniform anymore. Um, what does that look like, right? If if you had the pen and sort of built this this entity, this process, I won't even limit it and say this organization, right? Like this solution, what does it look like? Or what are some of the attributes it needs to have? Sure. Uh, the first it, the first thing I would do is change how the CDDs are written. Because that's something that's relatively, <laughs> relatively easy to do would have a really big impact. Yeah. Hey, we need a way to demonstrate that this is exactly what soldiers need and make them outcomes focused. And then the second part is how, you know, we need to have some type of entity that connects all of the operational unit innovation organizations because they're they're popping up like crazy. Yeah. There's all these grassroots organizations. And to me, that's a demand signal that there's something missing that, you know, the, these units need to be able to move faster, transform faster, um, solve problems faster. And it's also a bridge between the, you know, the strategic vision and, you know, of where we need to be. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for, like, for example, for Army 2030, what does that look like at a at a, the division level? We need to be figuring that out together. That's not something that yeah. we just need to consume or wait until the time is right. And and there's people thinking about it, right? But we need to have a deliberate organization for how we do it, so that we're doing it the right way. We're bringing in the right people. We're connecting all of the the people and organizations. Yeah, and then um, making sure that you know, those teams are tied in with the PEOs, with the CDIDs, the people who write yep. the, you know, the requirements. It, it would make their jobs easier. It'd make our jobs easier. It just makes sense. Is it just, is it an army solution? Sort of like skills across the army works well there. Is it, a, I keep having, and I have this weird hope and I feel like I'm a fool for sort of having it that like, hey, one day, DIU is actually going to be the front door and sort of the the central nervous system of these myriad innovation organizations that sort of exist everywhere. So that not only will 18th Airborne Corps, non-18th Airborne Corps Army units understand what's happening and what solutions are already out there or what, you know, the academic sort of network is already solved. Right. But across the department will be able to see test results and experimentation results and prototype contracts that have already been competitively awarded or solutions that have been built. And there will be somebody who's helping to, to not govern in terms of like, yes, no, yes, no, but to harmonize those efforts and create that sort of shared awareness and that ability to operate at scale as a department. Cause it feels so fractured for me. And it like, Part of me dies a little bit when I'm like, you're like the seventh person. So it's not a you thing. Who's been like, 
hey, it'd be really cool if like the same team just fucking talked. I'm like, oh my god, there's such bigger team out there. Well, and we we are doing that. I mean, there there are so many people who are advocating, you know, innovation advocates. And when I say innovation advocates, I'm talking about people who are working on transforming their particular units. Um, who it's all, we just all know each other. Right. And it's so, it's so personality, like individually based and it doesn't have to be that way. Right. Like there should be some kind of formal system that forces us to talk to each other and find the right people and not find them by happenstance. Yeah. Here's the, uh, all right, here's the last, we have two questions left. Um, from a human resources standpoint, right. We talk a lot and, you know, like I said, we were sitting yesterday with a bunch of, a bunch of the guys who used to be in a pretty high end software unit in the military. And you heard the same problem from them. Hey, how do we find talent? How do I recruit talent? How do I retain talent? So when I find, you know, if I'm brigade commander X or Colonel Y and I find someone like you, who's driving innovation, who's solving all these problems, you don't fit in a career path. (laughs) No. You don't fit in the, like, every two years, I'm going to rip you away and move you, and I'm going to send you to a bunch of schools that teach you slides and kick you back. What does that look like? How do we we think about talent retention as sort of the the nature of what we need at a tactical level is changing? Yeah. So for me in particular, I think, the army did a phenomenal job keeping me in a lot longer than I was planning to. Uh, so I've had even a couple Fell of refried packets <laughs> in and I rescinded two of them. And <laughs> because, uh, you know, there was, I had a champion who reached out and saw some of those unique aspects and attributes and had a vision for how that could be leveraged. So I, I've been in for nine years and the majority of my career, my military career has been, you know, the quote, career killing jobs. Well, what does that mean? They're not only are they uh, developmental jobs, right? But they're, um, they're just weird, right? They don't fit into the Intel pathway. They don't fill into the army pathway. Yeah. Yeah, So for example, when I was a lieutenant, I, um, I was an instructor at the Western Hemisphere Institute for Security Cooperation. And before I left, um, one of my supervisors said, hey, just like be careful going there so early in your career because like it's, this is very non-standard. This could kill your career. And, uh, and I, I didn't have PL time, which is very frowned upon, as you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I went there to be instructor. I absolutely loved every minute of it. Um, I got to work with soldiers, uh, instructors and students from all over the Western Hemisphere, our partners, you know, in Colombia and Mexico and Honduras. And I, it was just, and Chile is incredible experience. And then when I was a captain, I ended up working in Ukraine as part of a partnership mission. And I was one of the, you know, for me, it was intuitive. I had had this unique experience that none of the other captains, I was a junior captain at the time. I'd had this experience and I did because I did something weird and, you know, and I I tried something new that was unique and it better positioned me to help for that mission. I ended up being the lead for their uh, tactical reform for doctrine, all of those efforts that we did with the Ukrainian CTC. And there's no way I would have, I would have been able to do that had I not had previous experience working with multinational partnerships. Um, and then for, you know, for the innovation piece, right, um, 
General Cogbill at the time was at the 101st. Uh, he was the one who started the program and who put out that order to find someone like me. Uh, and he was the deputy commander of operations at the time. And the way he did it was he gave the mission, he gave the vision, the intent behind it, and and then let my boss and I, uh, Major Hall, um, and I just run with scissors, right? Yeah. And um, and of course, we had our regular touch points, made sure we were you know going in the right direction. But having that autonomy and having the space to be able to learn new things, create something new, that wouldn't have happened if we didn't have so much autonomy with a very clear purpose yeah. and intent. And it's too easy at the tactical level to say, hey, this is exactly the, you know, we have this propensity as leaders that we're the ones coming up with ideas where the, you know, the right champions for innovation recognize that, you know, the key to unlock is unlocking the talent of within your organization so that they're the ones coming up with the idea. And so I think that's really the key to retention. We had several soldiers who uh, came into Eagle Works and, you know, or, or partic otherwise participated in the core innovation program, ended up staying in longer because yeah. they felt heard, right? We were talking yeah. about See incentive. See yourself in the solution. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that was my favorite part of the job That's at cool. Eagle Works is soldiers coming in and you could just see in their eyes, like, you know, they're um, just exasperated because they they have all of this talent and capacity and they see the problem and they see a way forward, but they don't have the tools. And here's somebody who's working with them, listening to them, you know, giving them the tools. And, um, you know, they just, they we feel so much more fulfilled when we have networks like that. And so to me, these innovation programs, one, they're solving problems for, for the units, but two, they're, you know, they're helping Changing soldiers, soldiers find perspectives of like the slog of, <laughs> right? Like big army. Giving them the tools to be able to create positive impact like, yeah. at a scale that they wouldn't have otherwise. That's fucking awesome. That is a great way to describe that. All right, last question, right? So my handlers tell me that I have to structure this. So I ask yeah. the same last question every time. Um, you know, flash forward, you know, you hang up the spurs, you hang up the shoes. You're like, hey, done my work. I'm good. Retire. You know, what does that look like? What's success? What's life look like? Where do you want to end up? Yeah. Cooking all day. You're going to be shooting all day. You're be building <laughs> stuff all day. What's that look like? Maybe all the things, yeah. right? Yeah. I see, you know, Andrew, my husband and I on the front porch. By then, you know, the kids will have their own families and get to enjoy that extra. Yeah. And also with the... Uh, you know, everyone wants to leave a career knowing that they left it better. Uh, but there's only so much that, you know, one or, or us, you know, together, two people can do. You know, to me, it's more about the take, teaching a man to fish approach where I want to have the confidence that I've left my career, not just making things better, but uplifting a community that can continue to make it better, making it easier for them to make it better. Um, because that's, you know, that's how you really yeah. create change is not through an individual or, or two people. It's, uh, you know, by bringing the community together, inspiring them, giving them the right tools and then, um, you know, pushing them forward. So that's, 
that's the, you know, kind of thought I want to have in the back of my mind as we're sitting on that front porch. I love that. <laughs> and I, I think, you know, retirement won't look exactly like retirement because there's always more stuff to be done. Always work, yeah. Always wanting to, to do more, whether it's, you know, mentorship or, you know, maybe just mentorship will look different. It'll be with a, you know, beer in hand at the local brewery or Heck something. Yeah. <laughs> Heck yeah. Well, dude, look, this is, uh, I was super excited. We ended up in the same place and so we're able to do this. Yeah. Um, I think it's, we were laughing last night how long it's been that we've known each other. I think yeah. we've never gotten to like sit down and have like a, a formal work conversation. So it's pretty awesome. Um, I'm very excited to watch sort of the next phase of your career and you continue to scale your own impact and your reach and, I'm just uh, really, really excited. So thanks for taking Me the time. Too. And uh, I know this is going to be a fire episode. So thanks a ton. Thanks, Tyler. Appreciate it. Wow, look at you. You made it to the end. Thanks for listening. Hope you learned something. Don't forget to leave a passive aggressive review. It wouldn't be a podcast without some show notes. So check them out to learn more about me, Second Front. Stay weird.